This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome, dear listeners. I'm Jonathan Carlin. And I'm Ben Carlin. And we invite you to join us through the Gryffindor, your one-way ticket to the enchanting world of Harry Potter. So grab your wands and dust off your broomsticks and join us as we unlock the secrets behind Philosopher's Stone Chapter 2, The Vanishing Glass. Wow. Top tier intro today. Thank you. Yeah, Thank that you. Was, that was really good. I feel yeah. like I feel like you you have just been held back as is nearly as all as I can tell. I mean, yeah. we've, we I have, see you're repping the shirt from our other podcast where for some <laughs> somehow I guess everyone thinks you're a better host over there. Oh, I don't know anything about that. But what I do know about is chapter two of the of of the Philosopher's Stone, aka Sorcerer's Stone, aka the vanishing glass. Where, so, do, where do you land on Philosopher's Stone versus Sorcerer's Stone? I will tell you that I went through a myriad of different uh, emotions attached to this particular thing. So obviously, right. um, as an American and the first copy of the of the book that I ever owned as a kid was Sorcerer's Stone. And one of my best friends at the time, um, for one reason or another, um, his his family was extremely into like Premier League soccer and sort of like all things like England. And uh, I know that he had had a copy um, of the Philosopher's Stone, I believe before it had been released as the Sorcerer's Stone in America. Wow, so he and, probably has a pretty rare copy. <laughs> well, this was like one of those things. So it was like a childhood friend who I had not known uh, or had not spoken to, I, I think pretty much at all, just because we like moved in different directions in life starting from like age, maybe like 10 or 11. Yeah. Um, but like as we were like best friends starting from like day one of preschool and stuff like that. And once upon a time, we made... Uh, a video over on the Super Carlin Brothers channel talking about like the most valuable copies of the Harry Potter books. And um, like what you're ultimately looking for is the first run. Um, what is it? The ISBN number? Uh, yeah, like the, it's on like the on the in yeah the inner in inner cover there. I'd have to go back and look at all the specific ways in which you tell which run and which edition uh, a book is. But you want first run, first edition UK. Yes, exactly. And and I as we were like making that video and sort of like reviewing what those ISBN numbers were, I was like, goodness gracious, like this childhood friend very well might have like a very valuable copy of the book. And so like on a whim, I had like gone off to Facebook. I don't even know if we were friends on Facebook. And so like I found him, added him and like immediately sent him a message. And I was like, Hey, wild story, but like yeah. we're, we're making this video. Uh, and I remember you had this book. And so I was like, is there any chance you know where it is? Could you like check the, the, the number and like within 17 minutes of sending him that message, he had sent me a picture back of his numbers. Whoa. And I was like, I can't believe you had like, not only did you go from accepting my friend request, reading my message and then found the book, sent a picture of it and returned it to me. Um, so it, it wasn't like a first edition, a first ah, edition, but, bummer. but 
it was like one of those points of contention, I think, because he he read the UK edition, um, and so, so he had a chant book. He had a chant book, yeah, yeah and and he referred <laughs> to it as the Philosopher's Stone, and it was it was always one of those things very early on where it was like, okay, it's Sorcerer's Stone, all right, like, you know, okay, all like, right. So I think I had a chip on my shoulder for a really long time, and then uh, we mentioned in the last episode about how we went to uh, the British Library, the History of Magic exhibit, and and sort of like delved really further deep into the history of of the true blue like. Uh, Philosopher's Stone yeah. th- throughout actual, you know, human history. Um, and I think from that point on, I was always like Philosopher's Stone. Okay, Philosopher's so, Stone's yeah. like the real, like there's, there is, like in history, there was a Philosopher's Stone. People actually tried to make the Sorcerer's Stone is a complete fabrication. It means nothing. It, it means nothing. And, yeah. and largely <laughs> what it comes down to is like, I, I, I believe that the publishers thought that American um, like buyers might be more open to the term sorcerer than philosopher. Yeah. Like it, it seemed more magical to, I, I guess, or they, they, the perception at least was that the case. That was the yeah. case. Um, I, I teeter back and forth though, because I, I never want to like, you know, gatekeep anybody or anything like that. You know, if you love the story, you love the story. That's all that matters. Right. Um, I, I think I have started to adopt philosopher stone as my, as my primary. Parent. I think so. Yeah. I remember growing up. Yeah. We just had sorcerer stone. And when I heard that, it, like, you know, if I think in history, the philosopher stone will be remembered as a thing from Harry Potter more than it will be thing, something remembered as like a real thing people tried to make. Yeah, like it's, which is silly. In yeah. the in the field of alchemy, the philosopher stone essentially is the end all be all. It's like, like the point of alchemy. It is the point of alchemy yeah. is to achieve the the philosopher stone. So, yeah. um, so there is that. So I think yeah. Similarly, growing up though, I I never heard of it at all, and so it was like philosopher stone, sorcerer stone. Obviously, sorcerer stone is better. And then um, we had like another. We have another friend in Europe who's like a um a, he used to do a, a lot of Harry Potter videos. His name is Seamus, and um he you know he came to visit us one time. So then it was very fun to be like oh. Oh, no, the American version's better. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, uh, right, but then yeah. same thing. We went to that British library thing. And it was like, oh, it's absolutely Philosopher's Stone. And like since then, that's been like my, this is the correct version. But this is my l- recent update as of the last month. I would, I personally am still a Philosopher's Stone. And I think when I adopted that, I was like, this is clearly the correct way to say it. Like this is absolutely the right answer. And everyone knows it. I've been ignorant this whole time. And so that's what I've been saying since then. But um, we just did a video where we reviewed the covers of a bunch of different copies of Philosopher Stone. Yes. Oh, this is interesting. Yeah, this yeah. is crazy. And so the, I mean, because if you don't know, whatever copy of Harry Potter you have, there are especially for Philosopher Stone, there are the most versions of that cover, but there's like over a hundred different official covers that um, you could have. And they uh, they range from like wild and wacky to like awe inspiring and amazing. So if you want to check us out, like we go through, I think we've ranked over like 90 of them at this point. Yeah. Or, yeah. Not ranked, but rated them or just reviewed them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sort of like gave our two cents on, on yeah. how we felt about it. Yeah. But so anyway, when we posted that video, I had to decide what I was going to call it. And it was a very obviously like, re, you know, um, reacting to 50 different Philosopher Stone covers. And, I, you know, I put Philosopher Stone in the title and I put Philosopher Stone in the thumbnail. And I was like, okay, didn't even think twice about it. But then I, I and, it, you know, as you go across all the other countries, America is the only one that listed a Sorcerer Stone. All the other countries listed as a version like their language's version of Philosopher's Stone. Right. Yes. So it even made sense in that regard. But I was like, you know what? Let me do like just a little, I'm going to run like a little A-B test here and see 
whether or not the click-through rate is higher if we change it to Sorcerer's Stone versus Philosopher's Stone. And like, it totally was. It was way more effective. Not just a little, like way more effective. And it was like, oh, this is hilarious. Like our our viewing audience is clearly in America. And uh, they they recognize Sorcerer's Stone as the true title of (laughs) Harry Potter number one. That's that's our our statistic-based reason uh yeah. for for why you may call it sorcerer's stone yeah but. so why if you see it listed that way but anyway i think even though the the copy we're reading says sorcerer's stone on the on the front and i have to say i'll do you a quick um cover artwork rating this one's awesome it is like a pencil drawing it's got harry there's a big snake there's hedwig there's goblins there's hagrid and the egg there is mcgonagall back there lots of little eager oh there's even quirrell oh, i just found him for the first time that's crazy oh wow yeah i hadn't even spotted him either kind of like yeah, right underneath there. oh there's chin. maybe even voldemort right over Hedwig's head. This is a really cool um, copy, and I think there's a whole series yeah, on the inside cover there. So very cool one. Anyway, Ben, let's jump into chapter two, The Vanishing Glass, where we are celebrating uh, Dudley Dursley's first birthday. It's, it starts out. This is this is actually I'm going to start out right away at the really cool fun fact. Okay, yeah, lay it on. Okay, us. so the first uh, three words is just nearly 10 years had passed since the Dursleys had woken up to find their nephew on their front step. Okay. The, the, the phrase nearly 10 years immediately like reminded me of this amazing fact that you, that, that is true, just true about Harry Potter. So, um, Harry's parents are attacked on October 1st, 1980 or October 31st, 1981. Correct. Right. Yes. Meaning that we are now uh, as of this chapter in June, I believe, of it is 1991. Right. So, yeah, 1991. So, it has been nearly 10 years. So, Harry's birthday is on July 31st of 1991, uh, which would be, uh, and um, that is not just nine years later, but it is also nine months later from the attack on his parents down to the day because it's October 31st and July 31st. Yes. Meaning that it is exactly nine and three quarters years from the moment Harry leaves the wizarding world to re-enters it. It's incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. So yeah, the, the nearly 10 years is such like a little like tip of the hat. It's like nearly. Yeah. yeah, but then it's so great because it's platform nine and three quarters, which literally takes him to the wizarding world. Yes. It's just like I love it. It's so, like I don't know if that was accounted for or on purpose. It feels like no, because it's just like because Halloween feels like a specific date and July 31st is the author's birthday as well. Yes. So yes. it's like that. Yeah. those don't feel, it just feels like it worked out perfectly. I know. Yeah, yeah. just just but it, I mean, it's amazing that it literally is coming down to actually actually the day itself. Yeah, um, but I guess technically at this point in time that that is upon uh, that is really the distance of time since um, Hagrid himself has last yes, seen. It is. It Harry. is the exact amount of time from Hagrid to yes. Hagrid in Harry's life, um, but it's so fun. Uh, I think that we're but that's that's a chapter ahead. That's a we're chapter getting ahead, ahead of yeah. ourselves here. This is the vanishing glass. It's Dudley's birthday right now, June 23rd. Yes, yes, indeed. And um, this this chapter, I think, is really it's kind of all about, I think, giving you a really strong sense of just how difficult 
this decade has been yeah. for for Harry. Like you're getting a really good feel. I mean, right away you learned that like, you know, he sleeps in the cupboard underneath the stairs in that mm-hmm. cupboard in a house that is otherwise described as like almost verging on like uh, like upsetting levels of immaculately clean. <laughs> it is, is weird how that's described. It's like it is almost upsettingly clean in the house. Yes. Yeah. I, I often think that this is like one of those things where it's like it's like because I mean, I tend to feel like I keep my house pretty clean as well. And I'm always like, sometimes it's almost like, you know, like you're scrubbing your counters or something and you're like, should I lay off a little bit? Am I, am I, am I taking this too far? Am I, have, <laughs> like, I, have I reached Petunia Dursley levels of cleanliness? I don't think I'm never concerned about that in my house. No, I mean, I, no, 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 no. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Of course no, not. Let me, me tell you what. My three boys, they, I could clean it and they'll, they'll come through and 10 minutes later, it's like, why did I even bother? It's right. just... Anyway, yeah, but but either way, so just despite this immaculately clean house, uh, Harry sleeps in a cupboard underneath the stairs that is apparently absolutely just jam packed full of spiders. Yeah, the amount of times the spiders in in the cupboard under the stairs are brought up is like it's like how could there be that many spiders if the the rest of the house is so clean? It's I, like, I know. Are they just drawn to him? Is that like a magical thing? Well, and this is what I find to be kind of interesting about this chapter in particular is that you both learn about Harry's relationship with spiders and his relationship with snakes and it seems like his relationship with snakes goes on to be massively important to his overall character altogether. Yeah. Uh, and his relationship with spiders is, is not nothing, but it's like, it's, I, I do think it's interesting that like it's a semi prominent thing that he will interact with in his years to come, yeah. but, but not really important in any other way. I mean, it, it isn't, I mean, it's fairly, I guess it's like, was this, a, was there a certain amount of consideration given to like, I re- like really establishing Harry as like, I'm not a afraid of spiders like like because later on we're going to have to go into the forest and follow giant spiders and like even a regular person who's not like afraid of spiders still might not want to like follow spiders. I, I suppose you know? I suppose there's some possibility there. I think the other thing is I mean I, I don't know if like on some level just Harry, um, you know, like he, he is a true blue Gryffindor at the end of the day, his, you know, his bravery is, you know, rather immense, like in spiders are a rather common thing for someone just to be fearful of in right. general. So that's it, true. It, it it's just like just establishes be, some Gryffindoriness. This is, yeah, it's a, like, I got to the end of this chapter. I was like, man, this is like a, not a whole lot happens in this chapter. Like there's not a lot of magic happening. Well, some magic happens, but there's no, like, there's no, there's no other wizarding people at all. It's just Harry. Well, this is, I mean, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like a, like a season of um, like network TV shows where very frequently what you would find is that like, like episode one would be jam packed with like, sort of like get you like back mm-hmm. into the action or, or introduce you to like a story and like, like all the juicy details. And then sort of there's like a taper off as the season like progresses. Cause usually network TV shows would go for like a 20 plus episode season. Yeah. And that's a lot of time to cover. It's a lot of screen time so like you almost need to have these like otherwise side plots and stuff and so this story is maybe no exception to that in some capacity where like on some level you're just introduced to like Dumbledore and Hagrid and McGonagall and like the fall of Voldemort and like you know like all of this massive monumental stuff is happening and then and then this chapter is a bit more like like cooking bacon and going to the zoo right it's like let's reset like we knew a lot of the stuff let's meet Harry, the 11 year old as he is now before anything crazy has happened to him. Yes. What has happened in the last 10 years? Like we're going to bridge a gap here. So that that's a lot of what's happening here. I would say on the first page, a couple or on the second page here, a couple of things popped out to me. Like, first of all, I love that he had a dream about the flying motorcycle in it. It's just like, oh, 
Yeah, I know. I know. Right. Yeah. It's a little it, heartwarming it's, there. It's a little heartwarming. And it's also like, I, I think that that's a good setup for, for things to come because Harry's dreams are not irrelevant to the story going <laughs> forward. Like you learn yeah. a lot about the wizarding world. The, the story progresses oftentimes thanks to Harry's dreams. And so this is, this is kind of like a cool one where, um, where, where it is, it's a little bit more positive than a lot of the dreams that Harry gets to have going forward, which yeah. tend to get a little bit darker. Yeah. And then just write like a paragraph later. This is just something I noticed that this, we talked about last time. It's like some things are a little different once you're older, like you just might read past it or something. But um, like just when you realize like through the scope of time, how close Dudley's birthday is to Harry's. Like I think Dudley's is June 23rd and his is July 31st and they're born in the same year. Yeah. So yep, they're born age. like within a month of each other. Right. Basically, which is just like when I think about it, it's just like super duper sad for Lily and Petunia because like they would have been pregnant at the same time and it's, basically just not spoken to each other at, at all. all. Yeah, and it's just like it makes you think like because the the Dursley said they never met um, they never met Harry, which probably means that Lily and James died without ever having met their nephew, oh which my is gosh, like also yeah. sad. That is super you know? sad. Yeah, yeah. I, I never really I never considered it through their lens looking the other way before. Yeah. And, and of course that is, I mean, you know, one of the grand sacrifices that I think James and Lily would have made at some point in time was, was living under the Fidelius charm lent, meant being stuck inside of your home, mm-hmm. you know, just w- with nobody to accompany you except for your, your immediate surroundings. I mean, and for people who are so used to, um, you know, sort of like adventure and being in the fray and, and being so involved as like, you know, sort of warriors in this cause, it's like, I mean, you could, you could just imagine the level of, of kind of like stir crazy that would, that would be involved. And, and then not to mention everything else you miss out on in the meantime. Yeah. Um, and it's like, I like to think in my head that like eventually they would have tried to like reconcile with the Dursleys. Oh, like sure. if you know, there's no war or whatever, like eventually they like try or at least get Harry to meet his cousin or something, but it's like that never gets to happen. I know. I know. And, and I do think, um, and, and I'm, I, it's, it's always possible. I mean, I, I know that we've consumed it a million different ways. I know that there's a deleted scene in the films when the, the Dursleys are ultimately leaving where mm-hmm. she, where Petunia has a moment with Harry and I'm pretty sure it doesn't happen in the books. It might just be a movie only moment. I think so. Um, but it's something that I actually felt like the movies, even though they cut it out, there was a deleted deleted scene. Uh, it, it was one of those rare occasions where I actually felt like they added something to the story that was really uh, kind of nice, which is which is Petunia basically saying like, you know, you're not the only one who lost somebody that day uh, and essentially alluding to the, the reality of the fact that, you know, like despite the fact that they've had a fraught relationship, Petunia lost her sister mm-hmm. um, who, you know, even if she had struggles and, and her insecurities and stuff that sort of like lead Petunia down the path that we ultimately know she goes down. It's it's not as though she didn't still love her sister underneath it all. And yeah, that, that that's that's hard yeah. and complicated I to think, unpack. I think the closest you get to that in the books is just like Dumbledore sending that letter that says like, remember my last or something. And she's like, no PS to stay. Even yeah, though, that's like, true. Yeah. yeah. And it's like yeah. that, but that's as close as you get in the book. So yeah, they cut that out of the movie. And then they also cut out the scene where Dudley tells Harry he's not a waste of space. Oh yeah. Which they, like they, also they, it they, does happen in the book and you can watch the deleted scene and it's awesome. <laughs> like, it, yeah, I know. It's yeah. a great moment. It's, it's like, like yeah. why didn't you leave this in? This was great. I know. I, I have, I have the, this feeling in such a big way about a lot of the characters we, and I'm sure we'll get to Draco a lot as well, but oh, like, yeah. you know, the, with, with Dudley in particular, it's, it's one of those things that were especially as I've gotten older as a kid, you know, I knew kids like Dudley and I, and I, I mean, it was frustrating and, and you didn't want Dudley to win and, and all the rest. And, uh, as you get older and you reflect a little bit on, on, you know, like sometimes 
as a kid, what are you supposed to do other than parrot your parents' beliefs? You know, it's like as an 11 year old, it's like you're not, you haven't really been given enough freedom in life to think independently from everything you've ever, you've ever seen or, or, you know, like experienced, which is your, your upbringing and and views and perspectives of your parents. And, uh, interestingly, like one of the things that, that I'm going into the, the next page here that I had written down was like, you know, the, the Dursleys go to such extreme lengths to spoil Dudley that at times I've been curious before, like had Harry not been in the home, like would they have spoiled him to this extent because it's so aggressive, oh, it's so over the top. I don't think so because there are there are like several examples, even just in these first few, first few chapters, where it's like they're going like out of their way, like putting extra effort on themselves to like make sure Harry is miserable. Yes, like even the spiders, it's like the whole house is clean. The like clearly you care about it, but there's still spiders under the stairs. Yeah, like, yeah. So it yeah. Sometimes I think like what they're really doing is not spoiling Dudley so much as trying to demonstrate their their active neglect of Harry. Right. Like like yeah. Look, we we bought Harry or we bought Dudley. You know, when he it's gets to the zoo, an active. It's almost an oxymoron. Active neglect because it's like it'd be better if you just just neglected him. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, what, what that being said, one thing I have read about the Dursleys before is, is almost this idea that they, that, and, and this is the, the barest minimum. And, and, and I would barely even call it like an accolade, but, but they do not pretend to love Harry. Um, so like, I don't think that, and maybe, maybe this is uh, again, I mean, it's, it's hard to call it a gift, but like, maybe this is like one of those things where it's like, Harry doesn't have the wrong idea about well, what love looks like. He's just never experienced it prior, right. you know, w- throughout his entire lifetime with the yeah. Dursley. So, uh, at least on some level, he's not led to believe like, like Rapunzel under mother Gothel's care, you know, and entangled or something. Like, oh, right. She thinks this is what love looks like. And it's like, that's just gaslighting. That's just nope. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, not to, not to get too off brand here, but, um, Anyway, yeah, so the rest of this chapter has uh, really like the entire journey um, to the zoo, uh, a lot of sort of demonstrating how how spoiled uh, Dudley is. We, of course, have the whole like, you know, how many how many all there? 36 count them myself. <laughs> yes. Um, and and I, that's always been one of like the most quotable lines in my mind from the movies that that has just simply ever existed. Um, we have the very, very, very brief uh, introduction to uh, Pierce Polkis, who we spoke a little bit about uh, in last week's episode, but who, um, at one point in time, you actually wrote a, a rap about, mm-hmm. um, I sure did, which was, which was truly incredible, but basically it suggests that, uh, Peter Pettigrew had himself a son, uh, with, with sort of that like shared initial scheme with the, the Pierce Polkis, the Peter, Peter, Pettigrew. Polkis Peter Pettigrew. It's and not just that it's that also he said he has a face like a rat. Yes. <laughs> it's like in it's the like, same sentence. And it's like, well, 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 well face like a rat. Come on with the same, the same initial scheme right there. Pierce Polkis is also the one who's like, Harry was talking to the snake. Like he's the one it's like, that's, it's like a really subtle thing, but it's like in Pierce's mind, it is possible to talk to snakes. Oh, sure. You know? Yeah. It yep. is like, 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 whereas like the, the rest of the muggles you meet, it's like they would, you, you just sort of know, like you can't talk to snakes, but in Pierre's mind, like maybe there's just enough like magic in there that it's like he, he can see, he thinks of talking to snakes as a thing that could happen. Yes. Like maybe he's a, squ- probably a squib is really more what it is, but very possible. But yeah. yeah, the, the other aspect of it there as well is, um, like he's playing a kind of similar role with Dudley where, where he does come across as like, you know, Dudley's sort of like the, like the big the big mean bully that I feel like everybody mm-hmm. sort of has to like bend 
into and uh, Peter Pettigrew's primary operative for for pretty much everything, even his attraction to the Marauders in the first place has to do with with essentially looking for for the the biggest kid on the yard. Um, And then obviously once once Voldemort becomes the even bigger kid on the yard, he's just always a kind of a coward seeking the safety of, of that protection. Yeah. Um, and in a way that seems like that's exactly what Pierce is. So exactly, exactly like that. So yeah, I, I I stand by it. Pierce, Pierce Polkus is the, um, uh, is the, uh, bastard child of Peter Pettigrew. There you go. Yep. yep, Indeed. Um, so there's a few things here, like as we're just introduced to Harry, the 11 year old and like what his relationship with Dudley is that I just like, I, I marked and I thought were very like fun and interesting things that popped out, uh, as per the overall story. Um, first is that uh, it talks about how Dudley's favorite punching bag is Harry, but he can't often catch him because Harry didn't look up, but he's very fast. And it's like, it's like just sort of immediately setting you up for like Harry, the seeker later yeah, on. Absolutely. Yep. And, and also uh, in a way, Dudley, the boxer, uh, Dudley, the boxer, come, big, yeah, D. <laughs> big, big D. Yeah. So I do find it to be kind of interesting and funny that like almost right away, this idea of, of punching is sort of like ingrained into who Dudley is. So, I mean, right. he, he did show some, some early signs. Yeah, there's yeah. no doubt. There's no doubt about it. Um, then uh, Harry is immediately described as having the bright green eyes, which of course is uh, one, a nod to his mother. He's always described as looking like his dad, but then having his mother's eyes. But then it's also really funny that like um, there's like this weird contrast where Voldemort ends up having red eyes and Harry has green eyes and they're like the opposite colors of the houses they're in. Yes, and, yeah. and additionally as well, the, the Avada Kedavra curse is green is whereas expelliarmus yeah. is red or, so yeah or at least in the movies at, yeah. at least in the movies i think yeah. i think it's described as red sparks but i can't oh, i it? guess i can't, I can't Maybe remember specifically but avada kedavra is always green avada yeah definitely yeah. green so it the the um kind of um yin and yang effect that appears to be going on yeah like sort of like with that red and green you know sort of speaks to the duality actually and it could even set us up for one of the the kind of fun theories you could examine um that I, that i don't necessarily think you would subscribe to actually but um is the the general sentiment that um, in some way because Harry has a piece of Voldemort's soul inside of him that he is in fact a Horcrux and therefore the mistreatment of him at the hand of the Dursleys is much more a la Ron wearing Slytherin's locket in you know Deathly Hallows mm-hmm. and like the presence. But this is it, it. It's kind of one of those where it's like the Dursleys make it pretty clear pretty early before Harry's even there that this is not their, their kind of people. They are not for it. We also know that Petunia has a very strong history with her sister, like her own sense of insecurity is what's driving a lot of her hatred towards Harry. Yeah. Um, And it's also, it's kind of like one of those theories where like when you first hear it, you're like, Oh, that's interesting. Then it's also like, Kind of feels like uh, like your your victim blaming yeah, dad like did as well. Like, you're like making excuses for the Dursleys, and it's like, nah, yeah, you don't need to make excuses. Yeah, for the you don't need to make excuses there. for the Dursleys right, right. there. Um, I also they also talk about how like they keep cutting Harry's hair because it's always like so messy, but it makes no difference. His hair always grows back, yep, and it like it always grows that way. And I think that's really funny. It's like that his hair doesn't just always grow back; it always grows back messy. Yes, yeah, <laughs> it's like, yep. which is like it. There's a certain like. Um, like th- like like overall, as you continue to experience more and more of the wizarding world, there's this like underlying messaging that like you know a little bit of rule breaking. Like magic is just sort of like messy by nature. Like if you're really into magic and you're doing magic right, it's like a little bit messy and it's a little rule breaky and it's a little like not perfect and ordered. It's a little jumbled and stuff. And I think like, it's like, yeah, the magic could just fix Harry's hair, but it's like, it is not just out of place. It's like 
magically out of place. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's funny too because I mean you eventually do learn that like a, a huge reason why Harry has such an inheritance uh, from his family has has something that stems directly back to his uh, like genetic predisposition to have this particularly messy hair. Yes. As one of his, right. one the of sleek his, easy hair yeah, potion. Yeah. The sleek easy hair potion yeah. is it's it's a little bit of uh, additional reading outside of the universe, but you do eventually learn that uh, the the inventor of that is one of Harry's forefathers, yeah. and that that's is why the, he's so rich. That's where the family wealth comes from. And so. yet, Harry does not ever apparently use the potion. He doesn't seem to whatsoever. No. Yeah, it has has no no knowledge whatsoever. That this is something he yeah. would have a relationship <clears throat> with. Um, um, yeah. This is okay. That also, Harry describes Dudley as looking like a pig in a wig, which I just think is funny because Ron eventually goes on to own an owl named Pigwidgeon, which is like pig wig, pigwidgeon, pig in a wig. And it's like, did did Harry give Pigwidgeon the name? Is this like a is this like a very subtle like Loki stab at Dudley for like years later, <laughs> where like he's comparing giant Dudley to the tiny like tennis ball owl that is Pigwidgeon? Because Harry also uses wig in his own owl's name. <laughs> That's true. It's That's like true. Pigwidgeon, Hedwig, pig in a wig. I don't know. Maybe there's something there. <laughs> no, yeah, I got you. I mean, it seems like Pigwidgeon and Dudley are about as far apart from one another as they possibly oh, could be. Absolutely, they are. Yeah. Uh, but but I do I do kind of I never noticed the the fact that there's wig in both Hedwig and Pigwidgeon's name before. That's yeah. pretty funny. Uh, one of the other details that that I highlighted in this particular chapter is the fact that we get the introduction to the infamous or famous just in that in that sense uh, round glasses that Harry wears. Oh yeah. Uh, this is always one of those things. So we of course know that um, Harry is, is pretty aggressively mistreated by the Dursleys, but there, there is always one of those like, like, um, like at some point in time they had to take him to the eye doctor, right? You know, and, and almost and certainly, they did. <laughs> yeah, and they did. And, and so like, I've even thought before, like, you know, as, as time has gone on, um, you know, like probably even had to go more than than once like even after Harry started like attending Hogwarts it feels like at some point over the summer he probably needed to like go back and have his eyes checked again like surely he from age 11 till 17 he's not wearing the same pair of glasses oh right, right. like he probably needs a bigger pair at some point at some point That's, yeah yeah you're right <laughs> do you think he's doing it over the summer right yeah, yeah. it's like maybe it's like he goes back to the, he has to go back to the Dursleys for you know of course the, the the ancient magic protection that keeps him safe there and new glasses yeah and to visit the actual muggle eye doctor yeah yeah for sure that's in there as well through the Gryffindor is supported by pair eyewear y'all I'm so excited for our upcoming through the Gryffindor tour. It is going to be such a good time, but as ever, when you're going to be spending time in front of people, you want to be looking your darned best, and let me tell you what, pair eyewear has arrived just in the nick of time. Like, honestly, I was immediately blown away with my new frame, so let me let me walk you through exactly what they do. So, starting at just $60, including your prescription, you can get your base frames, which are like sleek, modern, and stylish, but that is really just the start, because from there, you get to full Fully customize each frame, all of your looks, by simply snapping on the top frames. And they actually have an entire collection of Harry Potter frames. So, like for the upcoming tour, I was so pumped because, like, oh my gosh, I've got to find some super cool Slytherin frames that I can like wear. But then, as I was clicking around, I've been watching uh, X Men '97, which is like so good, and they actually had. X-Men frames as well. And then May the 4th is coming up, or maybe by the time you're listening, it's already passed. 
past, but like they have a huge collection of over 20 Star Wars frames as well. So I, I had a very hard time narrowing in. I ended up getting two. I got the X-Men ones and I got some Slytherin ones. So many different like fandom frames you can choose from. And I never thought to accessorize my glasses with fandom stuff, but now you can. And it's so easy to change between them. Like they have little magnets on them. So you can just slap a uh, different frame onto the front of your glasses and then easily switch it out. I've been doing it all day. It's so fun. And before you commit to anything, you can explore all the different possibilities with their virtual try-on. But again, the base frames for men, women, or kids. I think, honestly, kids would love this because you can just switch them out and they're so fun looking. They all start at $60. One pair, infinite possibilities. Go to PairEyewear.com and use code GRIFFIN for 15% off your first pair and support the show by mentioning that through the Gryffindor sent you in your post-checkout survey. That's P-A-I-R-I-Wear.com, code GRIFFIN. Through the Gryffindor is sponsored by Rosetta Stone. Y'all, I've got to say, I love international travel. I don't know if there's anything that opens your eyes and mind more to different walks of life than immersing yourself inside of new ones. But one hesitation I always have about going somewhere new is how to best navigate the differing languages. But that's where Rosetta Stone can help. Because for me, it's not just about like the fear of getting lost, although <laughs> to be fair, it's not not a concern either. But to me, the immersion goes so much further than simply being somewhere else, I want to engage with and respect the locale by communicating in their tongue, not my own. And that's what's so great about Rosetta Stone. They provide 25 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, and more. And they use such an intuitive approach designed for you to pick up the language naturally, so you're really learning to speak, listen, and the one I always find the most fascinating, think in a new language. And what's even better is that when you sign up, it's for life. Yeah, a lifetime membership, because let's face it, we can only travel to so many new places, but so fast, but with all the time in the world, you can be ready for any adventures ahead. Don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Through the Gryffindor listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off your unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Um, let's see. We get introduced sort of to Aunt Marge here, like she's referenced in the last one, and this time she's given a name yep. as someone who gave it Dudley. Uh, it's it's crazy how quickly she's introduced and like 
it, it, she just feels like an off-page character, and then she actually shows up in Prisoner of Azkaban to be the worst. Yes, she she is. I mean, I think Aunt Marge is right up there with, um, you know, eventually Dolores Umbridge. Yeah, in, yeah. In that, very like, comparable. Just, just like a truly terrible person. But like we we've said this on so many occasions before. But like you know, Voldemort is evil in this sort of like storybook evil sense. You know, but then yeah. like like Umbridge is a teacher you've just had before. Yeah. Aunt Marge is just a a, a disapproving relative you've had like right. these are just mean like like this is not like an otherworldly it's not a magical kind of evil this is like a down-to-earth real like kind of person you might just encounter or yeah. or yeah like almost inevitably um so yeah that it's it, it is interesting again because you know we get serious black in chapter one aunt marge in, in uh chapter two and both of those characters are are very prominent in the beginning of prisoner of azkaban yeah. you know two books ahead let's see yeah um we also get mrs fig Yes. Uh, introduced here. And it's this is interesting. It says bad news, Vernon. She said, Mrs. Figg's broken her leg. And it's like, um, and then there's later down in the paragraph. It says, now what's an opportunity looking furiously at Harry as though he'd planned this. <laughs> and I'm always like, like, this is one of those like, now, obviously, Harry didn't do anything to Mrs. Fig, but we know that Mrs. Fig is a member of the Order of the Phoenix and a squib who lives across the street. And it's like, did Dumbledore plan this? Like, yeah, did, did, did Dumbledore <laughs> want this to happen? Because it this is like one of those like Dumbledore's big plan. Like he Dumbledore knows about the prophecy like since before the attack on the Potters. Yeah, and like he already knows Harry is going to have to be the one. So it's like he he begins pulling the strings on Harry's life like way earlier than you might realize. And it's like did Dumbledore like like want Harry to go to the zoo because he knew that Harry would then see a snake and like was, did he have some idea like is there is there any of that happening here the, like, there's maybe yeah. <laughs> I mean uh, book, book one in particular has a lot of signs that suggest that that what Dumbledore is truly doing the whole time is is trying to guide Harry and give him the necessary ingredients and and even you know Harry will eventually say in, in like you know towards the end of the story but like that he feels as though Dumbledore like thought that he deserved a go yeah. at, at Voldemort if he so desired. And then of course all the obstacles that are in the way are all things that Harry happened to learn that happened year to learn, you know, which, yeah, like look um, at these challenges set up perfectly for Harry, Ron and Hermione. What are the odds? Right, oh my yeah. God. The other, here's the real giveaway that Mrs. Fig's leg breaking quote unquote isn't real or is staged or not real. Okay. Right. Because Mrs. Fig is genuinely a part of the order of the Phoenix and she knows Dumbledore door and she lives where she lives because Harry lives there. Yes. Right. Yeah. Very she, intentionally. Yep. The cats she raises. This is like a little more like out of uh, extra universe reading, but they're actually half measles. So she's actually breeding magical creatures. Yep. But here's the thing. There's no reason for her to have a lengthy broken leg right? This is a solvable thing. This is a solvable thing. If Unless, you were, if you were in the magical world, this should be solved like that, right? Yeah, we know Madam Madame Pomfrey yeah. uh, is capable of mending a bone overnight uh, no, and, in like seconds. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah in seconds because you can regrow bones. Overnight. You can that's regrow good, bones overnight. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so the the interesting question here is whether or not uh, magical potions would work on someone who uh, is of the blood status of Mrs. Fig, which is a squib um, because one of the things that her house is uh, that Harry says her house smells like is cabbage, which is a smell that is also associated with polyjuice potion. Oh, is it? It is. That's yes, cabbages. And so that's like one of those interesting ones where it's like it's almost curious or or you almost wonder like, is there a chance 
that uh, there there is like a brew of Polyjuice Potion inside of Mrs. Fig's house all the time because we eventually learn that Mrs. Fig like has to make Harry stays over at her house uncomfortable for because otherwise the Dursleys never would like let Harry go and stay Yeah, if he there. thought he was enjoying it. Yeah, right. So it's like Mrs. Fig is like, I, I understand I made it miserable for you. Like, and I'm, I'm sorry about that. Like this was this was like part of like what I had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but it does make you wonder, like, is anything that's ever happening? Like is 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 Mrs. Fig's like job like to basically like go and monitor and watch, you know, Harry, yeah, Harry. at all times, mm-hmm. like, you know, and, and like maybe that cabbage smell is just a big pot of polyjuice. That's always That'd be hilarious. Always on. But brew. like even that like, it is curious whether or not potions would work on muggles, but actually I think they would. I think they would because the idea, the idea, at least Dumbledore's theory, whether or not he's correct in his theory is that Marope Gaunt uses a love potion on Tom Riddle. Wow. What yeah. a, yeah, what a, that's a good point. Yeah. And, and realistically, even uh, eventually Fred and George's, I mean, it's not a potion, but it's still a magical creation of the Tun Tun Toffee yeah. works on Dudley. So that's true. So it, it feels like that would work, but either way, a broken leg would be just a spell. It wouldn't even be a potion. That, be, you know, that's like, a good point. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah, like this is this is like a like a, a for for a wizard, especially where teleportation is not beyond the realm of possibility. It's like like Mrs. Fig could just write to Dumbledore and be like, "Hey, I had a bit yeah. of a malady, bit of a malady." And yeah. it's like, and it's not like, oh, this happened this morning, and so Dumbledore or someone hasn't gotten there to fix it yet. It's like there's days later when he goes to visit her, and her leg's still broken. So it's like it's broken for it's like. Either she's faking it or it's allowed to be broken for an amount of time, like when it does not need to be. Well, and anyway, so the 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 more important aspect of this is is we know that Dumbledore is known for having some good guesses, and uh, on some level, we we I, I think it's with I, I don't think it's a reach to suggest that. Uh, we we know that Harry's trip to the zoo ends up being very important, very relevant, um, you know, to his journey. And, and t- we basically learn about a very specific ability, which is his ability to speak to snakes in this moment. Um, so it, it doesn't feel like a reach to me to think that Dumbledore just simply arranged this or it was just simply a lie and and like she's just wearing a fake cast or something oh, yeah, like that. Yeah. You know, like she just didn't actually break her That's leg. As well, because there's another thing in here. I think later it says like, oh, ever since she broke her leg, she wasn't very fond of her cats anymore. And it's like, I, that's not true because one, like they're, they're part of what she's like. That's her job. She breeds the measles. Right. So it's like I don't think there's a situation where she's less fond of them ever. Um, so anyway, yeah, I think I think the whole Mrs. Figs has a broken leg thing is a huge farce by Dumbledore <laughs> to get Harry to the zoo. Maybe not because maybe just to even see. Maybe Dumbledore has like an idea that like I need I need to see what happens when Harry's near a snake. And we're going to make that happen. We're going to make that happen. Um, yep, yep. Yeah. So let's see. Oh, this is a funny one too. Um, another thing they try to do is they try to uh, send Harry to Petunia's friend Yvonne, uh, someone who could watch him so he doesn't have to come to the zoo because God forbid right, <laughs> that right. he come. But she can't. Yvonne can't watch him because she's on vacation in Majorca, which I just think is hilarious because literally in the next book um, when. Uncle Vernon is trying to close his deal with Mr. Mason. His his plan is to close the deal and then buy a vacation home in Majorca. Majorca. So it's Majorca. Is that what is it? Is it Majorca. Oh my gosh, I'm saying it so wrong. I, th- I think it's okay. It's okay. It's, yeah. Jim Dale says it as Majorca. Does he really? I okay. Think so. Okay. Okay. That's well. Then maybe maybe it has double 
pronunciation, but I think Mallorca. it's in Spain and it's a soft J. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Mallorca then. And I just think it's really funny that it comes up twice and that it's like clear to me that like in my mind, there is no doubt that the reason the Dursleys want a vacation home in this spot specifically is because Petunia's friend Yvonne has one. And it's like one of those like, oh, this is a real one upsmanship by them. Is oh, what yeah. it feels like yeah. that like we oh you have a vacation home in in Mallorca. Well, guess what? Move over. We're, we're, it's we're a real getting one and it's also going to have a pizza oven. So <laughs> <you know. laughs> keep it up with the Joneses. That's right. Keep it up with the with the Yvonne's. No, so, that's anyway, Although that's I, I, I literally highlighted Yvonne's name and just wrote trivia and it was like <laughs> this is like one of those questions where where if it came up and it was sort of like can you name Petunia's friend who is on vacation in Mallorca and therefore cannot watch Harry. I feel like yeah. nope. Yeah. Well, now we can. And now, now we, we know can. the real reason they want a vacation home there is because Yvonne does because Yvonne. Yep. yep. There we go. Okay. There so we go. Let's see here. The, uh, the next big thing. Uh, yeah, we've got, let's see the, uh, the eventual trip, uh, the, to the zoo. Yep. And I think one of the things I wrote down was the sheer volume of ice cream that Dudley consumes on their trip. Like does he? you have two, pa- uh, two, paragraphs that are back to back where it says the Dursleys bought Dudley and Pierce large chocolate ice creams at the oh, entrance. Right, yep. And then literally the next paragraph, it says Dudley had a tantrum because his Knickerbocker glory didn't have enough ice cream on top. Uncle Vernon bought him another one. <laughs> it's like it's like in two paragraphs. Okay. He's had three different servings of ice cream. I know. Okay. I also looked up a Knickerbocker glory. Did you look up what it is? I absolutely did. Yeah, yeah. absolutely did. Yeah. It's huge. It, it, <laughs> it oh, is yeah. a big British sun. Day. It is a, yes, yeah, yes. So, th- but this is this is one of those things, um, and, and I, I think like so often it's very interesting because we, we've asked the question a million times. But like you know, is it British or wizarding? And this is like one of those things where like on my first pass of the story, Knickerbocker glory would mean literally nothing to me at all. Oh, I, I, know, I, yeah. I would have no idea what that was. Yeah. But I mean, you of course have the so the, the the context like one one like word later that's like it didn't have enough ice cream on top. So it's like okay, clearly it's a dessert of some kind. <laughs> it didn't have enough. That's funny too because all the pictures. I look like it looked like it was nothing but just a giant glass thing full of ice cream. So it's like apparently this this one didn't have enough. So get another one. Right. It's like my 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 giant flute of ice cream didn't yeah. have enough ice cream in it. So we, we got another one full of ice cream. Well, yeah. Like, oh, oh, okay. I guess uh, Harry really looks out though because he gets a lemon pop and at least um, the what remained of the first Knickerbocker glory. So great day for Harry all around. Yep. Yep. At least, uh, at least there. But then we move to the reptile house where I think it's very like it's very on purpose that like the snake is just sitting there. It can't move. It's trapped in the stage and like Uncle Vernon's rapping on it and it's just people bothering him. It's like the exact same as on Petunia bothering him under the stairs. Oh, it, it's the yeah. exact same. I think yeah. the, the chapter literally begins with Aunt Petunia um, like banging on yeah. Oh gosh. She's like, yeah, she, she's just banging on the door. Yeah. You know, as, as he's trying to get up. Anyway, yeah. So, it's yeah. just like, yeah, there's a very obvious definite intended parallel between Harry and the snake. Yes. And it's like, not only, it's not just that he can talk to him. It's that he like relates to the snake. Yes. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Which, which even that is sort of interesting uh, in a lot of ways because like his, you know, snakes in the story feel like they live on the other side of the diagram, so to speak, yeah. like like more commonly associated with Slytherin, which is more commonly associated with with like negativity or dark magic or evil. But in this particular case, it's like Harry is using an ability that he has baked into himself thanks to the piece of Voldemort that lives inside of himself. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that is the only reason that he's able to to communicate with snakes in the first place. But in this capacity, it's like he he's like seeing 
uh, more of uh, I, in what I would say is more of Harry's own true self, not the the part of Voldemort. Yeah, inside you're of right. It, it is interesting because the um, the snakes that Harry interacts with the most via his ability to speak to snakes are the basilisk and Nagini, yes. which are like magical snakes. And you can, you can easily forget that like, Oh, maybe it's like I can, it, it can feel like Harry can just talk to like magical snakes or that snakes are inherently magical or something, but it's like he could, Harry can talk to any snake and any snake would, what, this is what I noticed this time reading through it um, on the hardback is that, uh, Harry's just staring at it, and the snake suddenly opened its eyes slowly, very slowly. It raised its head until its eyes were on level with Harry. It winked, which is like at this point, Harry has said nothing to the snake at all. He's just looking at it. So there's like there's like an aura almost being given off by Harry. The snake can immediately tell this person can talk to me. Yes, it's like it suggests that like all snakes, even a snake bred in captivity is aware of magic or something, which, you know? which is, yeah, which is weird. It is. It's pretty fascinating. It really yeah. is. Um, and I, I, you know, I think to, to borrow a line from name of the wind, I think that there's like a, like being truly alone, like even being in a room with like an unconscious person or something is, is different from being truly <laughs> alone. And, and I feel like this is like, or maybe even like that, that sensation you might get, like where, you know, uh, that somebody is, is watching you. Right. It, it's almost like it feels like the snake is like in Encountered like this sensation of of some kind. It's like, wait a second, like, someone. Wait a minute. Yeah, someone near me can communicate with me. It's like someone, right. someone like like minded or something. I don't even know. Um, but you're right. That is that is a very interesting one. And I caught that as well as I was like, it's so fascinating that like it actually seems to be of its own accord, just simply kind of like reacting to Harry's own presence. So. Right. Like yeah, Harry just being there alerts the snake. That's that's really interesting. And surprising snakes haven't like sought him out in any capacity before now almost. And, and again, you can go back to the, the little thing about the spiders there like this, like you're getting a lot of backstory about like little weird, uh, like unusual happenings that Harry has gone through mm -hmm. uh, throughout some of his life. And, and this is these are things that we know again from like further reading in the wizarding world that like as um, uh, like as young wizards are are growing up, they are basically able to like their their emotions effectively can can create magical effects because they are like sort of inadvertently like directing their magic at something. Uh, and so we get a bunch of those examples, like where he gets like stuck on top of the chimney. Oh, yeah, or, where he apparates. Yeah, he's, he <laughs> yeah. essentially has to apparate. I know. I love that. I'm like, oh, Harry just Loki apparates right here. He's just like up on top of the school and he's like, the wind must have caught me. And it's like, come on, Harry. I, I, I literally wrote, okay, I highlighted uh, Harry supposed that the wind must have caught him in mid jump and I wrote LOL. No. Apparate. <laughs> 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 Sorry. <laughs> Question mark. I know. Um, but yeah, so so but anyway, I feel like you're right. Like it would have made sense instead of having like the spider situation like to to have like regaled us with story itself of like you know at, at one point in time harry was punished because a group of snakes scared off a bunch of kids at the playground like it would have seemed like such an obvious like thing but maybe it would have been too too on the nose too obvious, like with, yeah, with yeah. what's to come anyway uh but it, it wouldn't even surprise me if like without it ever being mentioned without us even knowing if it's canon in my mind it's like that probably happened yeah you know what um, like they're out there they were finding him they could tell if anything i would count that as a more likely reason that harry otherwise seemingly had no friends whatsoever at school because it says like nobody would be friends with harry because like nobody wanted to go against dudley and it's like i'm sorry but like kids are i mean kids do not have 
that kind of beholdence to the class bully. Oh yeah. Like, like it's there's like, no chance. Yeah. The, someone yeah. was kind enough to be Harry's friend. Yeah. You know, and, but like, you know, I mean, if he's, if he's summoning snakes everywhere, yeah, it's, like, <laughs> it's not, it's not Dudley Harry. It's the snakes, it's bro. The, yeah. It's like, you gotta chill with the but snakes. But I guess Harry never realized the snakes were there or something. I don't know. Maybe not. The yeah. other thing about the snake that we can bring up, cause I know this is like one of those very common fan theories that I think was like a meme somewhere along the way that caught oh, a huge yeah. head of steam, uh, is basically just that the boa constrictor that Harry talks to, uh, at the zoo in, in during this particular scene eventually goes on to become uh, the snake Nagini. Uh, this is just something that we know for a variety of reasons to just be inaccurate. Um, yeah. I don't think that, uh, Nagini is a breed of snake that can be named. It's just sort of like a magical, uh, snake, which we of course know comes from, um, Nagini being a malediction, yeah, uh, which is basically a human who has a curse, uh, that's or blood curse, right? Blood curse, yeah. Uh, that slowly transforms them from human to um, creature. Yep. Uh, we never get the full the full story as to why Nagini eventually goes on to support uh, Voldemort in the future, but we know yeah. that at one point in time, Nagini was in fact a human person, and this snake was uh, born captivity. It's also heading to uh, Brazil. So <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. So unless it takes a, a hard left into Albania to find Voldemort, which obviously it doesn't. Also, I, I want to say this. Does it say the snake is male at any point? I don't know if it does. Yeah, um, I don't know that it does either. That it yeah. Does. yeah, doesn't matter. Okay, it's not that snake. So if you've if you've been under the illusion that this that this snake that Harry sets free goes on to be Nagini, it is not. Um, then so that's sort of what happens at the zoo. Oh, he makes the glass disappear, which is really funny. I think it's like all these crazy things keep happening. They can't find where the glass broke. Oh my gosh, what happened? Um, so Harry does a little bit of magic, um, but then the the last page of the chapter here has um, him talking about how whenever they're out, like like stranger strange strangers seem to recognize him, like people in violet top hats and in emerald robes and purple. Like I noticed in the first couple of chapters, whatever like the um, the Dursleys or Harry see witches and wizards on the street in the wild. They're almost always wearing purple or green, which is just like random. I don't know if those just seem like the most non muggle colors or something that. Yeah, no, that is very interesting. Um, <laughs> and, and I mean, this is this is like one of those things where very, very, very little to go off of. But the bald man in a very long purple coat does seem to fit uh, Kingsley Shacklebolt at least on Ooh, the basis of how he's dressed, which is, yeah. it just kind of makes me happy to think that like Kingsley may have like also been like watching out for him because Kingsley's mm-hmm. always had that, like that air of, of, of like goodness, confidence, um, like, uh, is very capable. So yeah. it's like just the idea uh, on some level that like Kingsley would ever be like watching uh, like over Harry from afar and even like take a moment to go over and like shake his hand and just like, you know, like, Yo, what's um, up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, because he walks away without a word, and even that seems like very, very Kingsley. It you know, does. Just like walk up, like shake your hand. I All know. Right. It's, it also talks about how every time he meets someone, he like they seem to vanish, which is also interesting. Like everyone who meets Harry is like, "All right, time to go." Oh <laughs> just yeah, right. pop, and it's like that. Like early on, apparition seems like it was like a lot quieter. Like it's always described with like a pop or a snap later on. And it's like early, but whatever, like when Dumbledore arrives, it just sort of, he just sort of appeared out of nowhere. There's never like a pop or a snap or all these people are like apparently meeting him and then exiting without like the loud crack sound. It's just like the, and we're gone. You know, this is one of those things that I would say that like, I, I can never really get a firm grasp on like throughout the story, like when it says like there's a crack associated with it, I can never really figure out like, like, cause I feel like sometimes it's like, like a car backfired and it's like, 
if if it's cracking like a car backfires every single time, yeah. it's like that is a very, very, very noticeable noise. Yeah, like you're right. Sometimes it is almost like it's so loud. Like when Dobby does it outside of the window, it's like, yeah, it's like a car backfiring. But then other times it seems it's more like just like a snap sound or something. I wonder if it has to do at all, like with the, the, the brand of magic that's being used or like the, like how capable the, the wizard in question is or something. We'll, oh. we'll have to keep our, our eye to the ground to see if there's <laughs> like any, any, you know, uh, consistency whatsoever. Cause eventually we'll, we'll see in like order of the Phoenix that like Fred and George are operating like into the room and, yeah. and, and surely that's the kind of thing that like, um, you know, if, if Molly was hearing them like crack from, from one level to another, she'd be like, yeah, no good. Yeah. She would say something about yeah, it. She would say you know? something about it, but yeah. it does seem like they would be the kind of uh, operators who would like really try and have a loud crack. Boom. It's like, I yeah. am here. I also, I think if I had to guess, this would be my reasoning is that the, even though it accomplishes the same thing, house elves operating versus wizards operating is like actually subtly different magic because like the house elves are able to operate inside of Hogwarts, even though wizards can't. So it must be a little bit like whatever blocks wizards from doing it doesn't block house elves. So it must be different. So I think maybe, maybe it, is it described that maybe just the house elves are really loud, whereas the wizards are more of like a pop. Maybe that could be the case. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, there's there's also Malfoy Manor. We'll eventually know that, um, you know, other other adult wizards are incapable of operating in or out of uh, the basement, but Dobby is, yeah. is able to get in there Dobby's as well. Like, so, whatever, don't um, care. I used to live here. You could, I wonder, I mean, speaking to like the subtlety of the magic, I mean, again, I think it's probably different brands altogether, but, um, you know, uh, Dobby is using like wandless magic altogether, which uh, you, I suppose there's some, some possible argument to be made, like that a wand helps you direct, uh, your energy more specifically, or like maybe it's like a more refined version mm -hmm. of, of the spell. Yeah. And so maybe, maybe like it's more raw. You oh, know, when, sure. Yeah. When Dobby's doing it. But like, we also know eventually that house elves are incredibly powerful of their own accord. So yeah. You know that that would certainly that would certainly track, but anyway, um, yeah. So I mean, I think chapter two is is sort of interesting. I mean, on the whole, I would say my my key takeaways from it was was largely to give you, uh, while we while while I always recollect in the first book that Harry's time spent with the Dursleys is a long time. It feels like this chapter is really covering a lot of the bases to kind of give you the idea of what his treatment was like while he's there. You yeah. Know, like the fact that he lives in the cupboard, the fact that it's even common for them to like lock him in the cupboard for uh, like, like stretches of time. I think at one point it says a week and I want to say in the next chapter, there's one where it's like a month or something. Right. And, and this is like one of those things where it's like, I don't like when you say trapped in there for a week. I mean, like, does that mean that the door is locked and you can't exit or is that being like grounded in your room and it's like, okay, you need to go and spend like when you're at home, you're in your room. Okay. Yeah. It. Not to, not to get too far ahead. Just as the first page of the next chapter, it says by the, the, this is for the vanishing glass situation. It says by the time he was allowed out of his cupboard again, the summer holidays had started, which so for reference, again, Dudley's birthday is June 23rd, right? And I was looking up when do summer holidays start and school end in like uh, UK and it's mid July, which also tracks for like how close the next chapter is to like Harry's birthday, which is at the end of July, July 31st. July yeah. 31st. So it's like if he was in there from June 23rd to mid July, one, that is absolute crazy levels of abuse. Oh yes, like yes. just nonsense. Like that is 
horrible. Like there's Harry should be so much more messed up. Oh yes, um. yeah, yeah. No, I mean the 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 fact that he yeah that he comes out the other side, you know, like I mean, I don't know. It's just I mean he's been through a lot. He's been it is, through it is not a, lot. a good life. It also yeah. means like in some capacity he was just kept out of school for like almost a month, basically. Like it seems like the Dursley should have been called out on that. It makes like maybe he was at least going to school and it was like as soon as he got home, he's in the in the, that's not there's no at least there. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just all bad. It's not none of it's okay. It's I know. so bad. I know, I know. It's like you want it to just be like hyperbole or something. I know. You want it to just be like, but like, it's like it's you like, want it to be, but like that's what it says. I know and on the page. I know. It's like, well that's that's not great. <laughs> so um anyway, yeah. yeah so so dif- difficult life. Difficult uh, life for Harry coming up on his eleventh birthday here. Um Ben, what did you think of the chapter art for the vanishing glass? Goodness gracious. I mean, it infuriates me to look at it a little bit. I yeah. mean, you know, he just like, I, like Dudley just just does have that look in in the chapter art here. So if if you can imagine, uh, you got you got little little dudders there surrounded by a pile of presents. But really, it's not the presents or anything else. That it's it's just the expression on his face, which just is it is such an air of superiority. It is. It's like um, I deserve all these things. Like even as they're describing what his particular like batch of of gifts happens to be like there's the inclusion of like a racing bike you know um yes and uh, like a second television and you know it's funny because it's like I'm, I'm sort of just like imagining the most like comical like from how the grinch stole christmas pile of gifts you could ever imagine and and it almost seems like that's almost exactly what it is it's like some of these things are just useless to him it's just it's an impressive looking pile of gifts yeah so it's like are like is he going to use a racing bike it's like probably not but like it makes it makes the presentation of the gifts seem that much more uh, extravagant. But the other funny thing about it too, as well as we get a further breakdown of um, what the rest of his gifts happen to be. And I, I always think it's funny because it's like, as he, as they're, as they're given the rundown, it's sort of like, uh, let's see here, the racing bike, the video camera, remote control airplane. And then it goes, so it's like really specific stuff. And then it's, 16 new computer games and a VCR. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like, okay, we can't give a list of everything. So a bunch of games. Yeah. A bunch yeah. of games. I want to say, is this, this, is this the chapter that mentions a PlayStation? I don't think this is the one that this mentions the, the PlayStation. I think it's a reminiscence at some point in time, but it is an anachronism. I yeah. know uh, in the story where the PlayStation had not been, Whenever it's referenced, the PlayStation had not actually been released. Yeah, um, attached to this time frame yet, which I this is something we haven't really talked about before. And I will say, when I was reading the stories for the first time, kept baffling me a little bit. Was I think what would it be in 1997 when the first book was released? Yeah, um, it, I think in my mind it did sometimes. It, it sometimes blew my mind because I was close-ish in age to Harry as I was reading each of the installments, yeah. like sort of like, so we were kind of progressing it. Like it's just similar. happening in the past. It's happening in the past. So I think one of the things that did throw me it very rarely and occasionally did this ever actually have like plot relevance, but you know, the fact that you get to the end of Harry's saga and it's only um, like 1998. Yeah. I think by the end of the story, similarly, because like, I think my science fair project, for example, when I was in seventh grade, I made the mailbox 2000, which was a, a mailbox that had like a slide sliding drawer so that you could like reach the mailbox from, yeah. from your car easier yeah. uh, with, without having to like reach so far in there. But like I 100% stole the name from the Nimbus 2000. Oh, that's so funny. Um, you know, and it's oh, like, right. like, it's like, why like is the it called Nimbus it? 2000 shouldn't be called that. Right, right. But like at the time, at the time of reading about the Nimbus 2000, like, like 
the year 2000 was upon us. Like right. the, the, the number 2000 felt very prominent for one very obvious reason. Exactly. But for Harry, it's like nine years away. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. We end the whole saga and it's still not the year. It's 2000. still not the year 2000. Yeah. So it's like, there's really, there's no reason it should be called the Nimbus 2000. Yeah. Just no, at all. Although I think I want to do the 2001. <laughs> it's yes, like, yeah. was, I'm sorry. Was there the Nimbus 1999? Like I doubt it. Right. Right. No, absolutely not. Is this um, actually model number 2000? What, what are not. your thoughts on the chapter art? Oh, I think, I mean, it's, it's, it just, it's such an annoying looking little kid. It's like, I feel like he just looks so spoiled. The smug. He's just so smug, so spoiled. So like uh, this, is, even this isn't enough, even though I'm surrounded, I, I think his haircut, it's like, that is how it's described. But I always think of Dudley as how he's presented in the movies, which is different. Like he's got brown hair in the movies and he definitely has blonde hair in the books, but yep. yeah. Yeah, it's just like I just I don't I, you get the idea that this is not a likable child. So yeah, it's 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 pretty solid. It's pretty solid. There we go. There we, there go. we go. Okay. Well, so I think I think we're at a, a great point for uh for for chapter two. I feel like we covered a lot of bases. Um, you know, kind of a kind of a, a like a like a building chapter. I feel like, but yeah. I'm I'm excited for. Chapter uh, three is a big one. Chapter three, the letters from no the one. The letters um, from no one, I, except I. <laughs> I, abs- I absolutely love the, the, this upcoming chapter, so I'm I'm very excited to to delve into it and to break it down together and and sort of go through all the bits as Harry starts getting his letters to Hogwarts. The thing that all of us wished as kids that someday we we always just assumed they were lost in the mail. I know, right? Maybe one day. Part of me is always like, maybe. What if you don't find out you're a wizard until you're like forty? You know, it's like. like like maybe in the book it's like eleven, but like in real life, you know, they want they want grown adults who are like mature, who have some experience before they start handing out magic to people. Exactly, okay? you know what I mean? Yeah, right. yeah, Come yeah, on now. Yeah. So anyway, there's there's still hope, is what you're trying to say. Exactly. Um, I'll I'll try not to put you on the spot here, but I do <clears> see that you're that you're pulling something up on your phone. Is there a chance that you can grace us with a few verses from? Yeah, I was thinking maybe we would. I was pulling up the Peter Pettigrew rap here, so I can. Uh, I'm not going to do the whole thing. Obviously, if you want to see the whole thing, you're going up on YouTube, um, but I can I'll, I'll give you the um, the the the, the, my favorite part that actually still that led me to the whole thing and that I still actually can remember because so much of it I don't remember at all, but I always I can still remember this part. Are you ready? Okay, lay it on us. All right, here we go. This is the 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 idea is that Peter Pettigrew has a son who's Pierce Polkis ready because um, I'm pretty positive Peter Pettigrew put a permanent pause on his paternal power. Basically, he found a woman to deflower then ran like Snape facing a shower, which sorry, Snape didn't mean to throw shade. Just trying to say anything to stop people from thinking about Peter getting laid. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for one twenty nine each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine a pound all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. 